and if there's a scone left over for me, that would be amazing. You have two back here, Heather. So fun. Well, this morning I'm here to tell you that I, I mean, I am a goal-oriented person as you're turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I'm a goal-oriented person, but yet I don't like allow or kind of desire the, the calendar to tell me if I need a new goal or not, or if I've really achieved the one that I set before. It's like, I, I don't know, it's just kind of this thing that I, I know that the new year is a good time to sit back and kind of reflect upon the previous 12 months and seek the Lord's heart and seek the Lord's mind for a new calendar year. But I think sometimes the previous year, though we've set out to accomplish some things or, or set out to uh, move in a certain direction or some change some things in our life, maybe we're not done with that yet. Maybe, maybe there's some things last year that God said in your heart and begun in your heart and he wants you to stay focused on that. And he's telling you just because we've gone from 2019 to 2020 doesn't mean we need to kind of skip what we've been working on for the last year. Especially those of you that have really gotten serious about your relationship with God over this last year. Um, continue on. Continue on. Keep moving. Keep growing. I know for me, um, last year I, I kind of set out and it was kind of around um, May, April, May is when I go on a retreat with some um, former Bible college friends and a mentor. It's kind of a, uh, almost like a new year for me. It's kind of like this cycle that's being formed in my heart that when I report back to my mentor and I report back to these gentlemen that we go on this retreat in Colorado every year, that um, it's kind of like a, a check-in for me. So this new year... I, it's not really like this change of pace for me. It's not something where I say, okay, I accomplished that and now I've got to move on to something else um, because there's a lot of things that, that are so very much in process in our lives and in, in what we've what we're got going on. I think the only one thing that I would say 2019 I set out to do that I barely, I mean like eked in, barely finished was to ride 2,000 miles on, on my bike, and so the combination road bike, mountain bike kind of thing, and uh, to do that, and uh, to set out to, to do 2,000 miles, and I did 2001, I did the last 36 miles on New Year's Eve in the wind, and um, yeah, it was, it was exciting, and so I, I eked that in, and uh, just recently moving here to Yukaipa, I understand there's a lot more hills to climb in Yukaipa than there are out in the, in the high desert. It's a little more flat out there. So I'm like, oh, great. This is outstanding. So I did have one meaningless goal that I accomplished, but everything actually meaningful in my life, I, I believe that I don't want to kind of change these goals yet. I'm still saying, Lord, there's still some things that, that we're working on. And I know the calendar has changed, God, but, but Lord, I, I still have a lot of these things that, that I'm working on. And so I want to talk to you this morning because I know a lot of our, a lot of who we are as, as a nation and we're changing the calendar. A lot of you have New Year's resolutions. A lot of you have set new goals. I was talking to one of you today about, about a goal that you have set for this new year. And so I just want to remind you as you're doing that, if you're a person like me that you just, you still feel like you have some unfinished business and this needs to continue and you need to grow on Let's be at peace with the calendar. We don't need to create a new one. We can keep going. But if you're a person that says, you know what, I think that I've, I'm ready. I'm at this place. I've sought the heart of the Lord. I've sought the mind of the Lord. I'm ready to make some new changes in my life, set some new goals. Well, then I want to help you out this morning too. So whatever side of the fence you fall in on that, we're going to take a look at God's scripture today and 
focus in on this one overwhelming idea, and it is this, that the life goal of knowing Jesus shapes all other goals, okay? The life goal, the life goal. I, I pray that this is your major life goal as a follower of Jesus, and that is to say that all the other things that you want to accomplish in your life are kind of underneath that, that one goal, that one umbrella. So whatever you want to do academically, whatever you want to do career-wise, whatever you want to do in your family, whatever you want to do health-wise, that all of that is coming underneath. All of those are good things. All those are wonderful things. Some of you may have set you know, some new health goals this year. Great. Put that right into that context of knowing Jesus. How does knowing Jesus affect this health goal of yours? How does knowing Jesus affect this goal in your relationships, maybe with your children or your spouse? And we know Sarah, brand new today, right? Sarah, welcome. Is this your first grandchild? Second? Third? Okay, well, you're one ahead of me. Grandparenthood is like this glorious new existence that Craig and Christy are going to embark on soon. And it's just this wonderful, indescribable blessing that you could, but anyway, I can preach all day on that. But all these other goals fall under this one kind of overwhelming life goal to continue to know Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what Paul the Apostle set for us as a wonderful example, making some observations from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21 as we continue through this letter. The first thing that we discover in the text is that we're not there yet. And isn't that kind of a relief to kind of look and to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I'm going to be. I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I'm going to be. And, and you kind of feel some, some, some relief there and to say, okay, all right, I'm not expected to be there yet. <laughs> and that's good, right? That's good. You're not expected to be there yet. But let's unpack this a little bit as we start to dive in. Philippians chapter 12, and excuse me if I pause, or chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I'm going to have to pause at some places here to give the scripture um, some kind of um, context for us because we don't just want to take these words and, and misapply them. So, starting in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this. Again, stop right there for a moment. Not that I've already obtained this. What's this? Now, I know that sometimes we have this bad habit of misusing the Bible in this weird kind of way that we do these days is that we take the words of the Bible and then we give them our own meaning, right? And I know a lot of times when you and I are apart right now in January 1st, we're looking to say, not that I've already obtained this. And for you, the this is maybe a career goal, a relationship goal, a health goal. Erase that from your mind. That's not the this. Paul is not just giving us words to say whatever your this is, then apply it to this text. We're not free to do that with the Bible. There is a definite this that Paul is talking about. There is a definite thing that he is saying, I have not obtained yet. And what is that? That this in this text is his way of knowing Jesus as he described in verses 3 through 11, or excuse me, 8 through 11. So just right there in your Bibles, we're going to leave that on the screen. In your Bibles, if you'll just look at Philippians chapter 3, and you'll read this with me together, verses 8 through 11, when he says this. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. 
my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So you see what Paul is saying, the this in this is he's saying that I have not attained the resurrection of the dead yet. In other words, I haven't died and gone into eternity. I haven't done that yet. And he said, neither have I come to this place where I fully have experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus in my own life. Whoa. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Isn't it that I have not attained this, that I'm not where I'm going to be with my career goals or don't have this much money in the bank? No, 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 no. Erase all that. What Paul is telling us today is that everything that he once counted significant, and for Paul, as a Jewish as a, as a Jewish Pharisee, for him, was protecting who he was in his community. Did you know the Jews in the first century and before that their religious goals were to protect themselves? That in, within the Jewish community, they had the law, they had the, the temple, they had their history, they had their lineage, they had all of that protected. And in the outside world, the Gentile world was corruption and sin that God was going to judge. And so for them, they had to protect. It's as though we got together as a local church and said, no visitors, no new people, no one out there, just us. If anybody doesn't come here that's exactly like this, they can't be in here, they have to keep out there. Don't let any music in here, don't let any thoughts come in here, don't let any literature come in here, don't let any people come in here. It's just God to be this and this only, then you get a good picture of what Paul would think as he was saying, this is how I stay righteous, this is how I stay pure, this is how I stay with God, is by pushing everybody else away. And he said, I now count that as garbage. I now count that as loss. And he begins to see, if you read all of Paul's letters, you begin to see that he says, now we have to go into the nations with the gospel into the world, into the darkness, into the lostness, into the brokenness. And he says, that's where we gain. And he says, I don't know exactly, and I haven't attained this knowledge yet of perfectly understanding Jesus and his death and resurrection. I don't perfectly know that. I haven't perfectly experienced the death of my old life and the newness of my new life, and neither have I attained to this place of where I now have eternal life because I've crossed over. Paul's saying, I don't have it all down yet. No, I don't. He says, so not that I have already attained this or am already perfected. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ, Jesus, has made me his own. There's the motivator. He says, I don't, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm going to keep going because Jesus has gotten a hold of me. So I'm going to press on. I want to get a hold of him because he's gotten a hold of me. Have you let Jesus get a hold of your life? As you, whatever this, however you're living and however the context and what makes up your life today, the relationships, the goals, the, the components of your day-to-day -day world, your heart, your mind, has Jesus gotten a hold of that? 
See, but then that becomes your motivator. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus really got a hold of me. And for Paul, he's like, man, I was on a mission to destroy this thing called the way. I was on a mission to destroy this thing called the church, and Jesus got a hold of me. <laughs> to where Paul would literally say and call himself a, a, a servant. Like he's been imprisoned by God. Like it's, it's as though God got a hold of his heart and said, I'm holding you captive, and now I'm moving you in a new direction. Has Jesus so gotten control of your life? that you say, because I'm his, because he loves me, because he is who he is, because he is Jesus, I, therefore I want to know him, and I want to experience him, and I want to be connected with him and be absorbed in him. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Again, that's something very specific for Paul. And you might say today, well, what lies behind is 2019. Not really. Not really. A lot of what's going on in your world today is still the same. You're affected. We can't close the door on one year as though that year didn't exist and simply move in a new direction. No, we're, we, are, we, are, we got stuff. <laughs> Our life is shaped the way that you're viewing and understanding this sermon today. Whether you're thinking I'm full of it or you're thinking, man, he's really touching on some things in my life. Whatever you think about what's going on right now is in large part due to your past. Because all of you right now that are listening critically, you're comparing everything that I'm saying to what you previously have heard about this passage, aren't you? I hope so. <laughs> I hope you are. I hope you don't just come here in here empty-headed and just let me fill your brain with whatever comes out of my mouth. That would be silly. That, that would be irrational. We'd, we'd do that. I hope that you're either fighting with me a little bit or disagreeing with me or wondering, is he right? Is he really so specifically what Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, for him it was his perfectionism through the law. That's what Paul was saying. I'm going to leave this attitude of I'm going to be perfect by keeping everybody out. And I'm going to be perfect by doing everything exactly to the letter. And Paul says, I'm going to throw that out. I'm going to throw out this perfectionism. And I know because Church of the Nazarene, holiness unto the Lord, and our main doctrine is the doctrine of entire sanctification and we seek to live holy lives. That can very, 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 very quickly become a works-oriented gospel. It could be very, um, very quickly become this kind of perfectionistic kind of idea that we are perfect because we don't do certain things or say certain things. It could become this perfectionism which was never meant to be the case either by the authors of the scripture or the shapers and framers of our, our, our church. We're never supposed to be perfectionism at all. But it could very quickly become that, couldn't it? And so Paul invites us to throw that out. He invites us to, to, to get rid of that and to say it's not this perfectionistic attitude by following all of the rules because I'm trying to get God to do something for me. It's no, it's I've been so arrested by Jesus uh, that I want to know him, that this man is so curious to me and I'm so in love with him that I want to get to know him. And I want to experience everything that he has to ex me for me to experience. And so Paul says, I throw out this perfectionistic idea. I get rid of that. And I strain towards what lies ahead. What is, what is that? For Paul, it's knowing him completely at the resurrection. This is that when I get there and when I die, and I stand before the Lord and he resurrects me unto himself, that I can stand with him and know him perfectly. That I can know him for who he truly is that all of my preconceived notions, that all of the cultural ideas and cultural definitions 
can be all shoved to the side and I can purely see Jesus, that me and him, and I can have a full, complete understanding of who he is when he raises me from the dead. That becomes Paul's goal. That's what he's pressing into. That's what he's trying to accomplish. That's his resolution. That's his goal. And so he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, for Paul, Jesus is now the shaper and framer of the way he's going to go about his daily life. What he finds valuable and what he founds productive, what he founds worthy of spending his time and his resources and his money on. You see, because for Paul, and hopefully for you and for me today and us as a community, that everything that we do is shaped by our desire to know Jesus. And as we know Jesus, he shapes how we live. He shapes what we read. He shapes what we listen to. He shapes what we put in our bodies. He shapes the things that we think are good and healthy and things that we think are harmful and, and, and wrong for, for us. And that knowing Jesus starts to frame all of our other goals. And because Jesus has so arrested us, therefore I must. You see, when I was getting my preacher's license in the Church of the Nazarene, one of the gentlemen asked me, he said, can you not be a preacher? And he, he said it kind of weird, but it struck me interesting. He says, can you, still, can you ignore being a preacher and still go to heaven? Well, the technical answer for that is yes, but the way it was, we, as we discussed that, the way it was was, can you live at peace with yourself without teaching the word of God? And the answer for me is no can't do that because God has so called me to do it and required of me to do it the where I have to do it you see and for a period of a couple years there in between I'm actually forgetting when it was a couple years around 13 12 2012 2013 when I wasn't doing that my life felt out of sorts I didn't know who kind of lost my identity for a little bit there I didn't know what was going on you see so that's kind of when you think about these things in your life, where is that? Where are you with that? What are you saying, I just have to do this because Jesus is driving me towards that? I just have to love this person. I just have to love this neighbor. I have to pour into this person's life. I, I have to do that because Jesus is so calling me to do that. I have to give up some things in my life because Jesus has so captured my heart that I want to give those things up that I want to stop doing that. I want to stop behaving that way and thinking like that because Jesus has so gotten a hold of me. You see, that's, that's what I'm meaning by the life goal of knowing Jesus begins to shape everything else. So we've not, we're not there yet, but also we have made some ground, haven't we? I mean, I think that a lot of you here today would say, wow, oh, I'm starting off 2020 in a better spot. I've, I've made some ground. I've been in the Word. I've been understanding God. I've been understanding more of myself. I'm, I'm better at this Christian thing. Maybe you're a better parent than you used to be. Maybe you're a better spouse than you used to be. Maybe you're a better friend. Maybe you're a better worker this year. Maybe you're a better neighbor this year. Maybe you're a better citizen this year because you've been following Jesus and you've been getting to know Jesus and it's been shaping the way that you interact with everybody else. So yeah, you know what? You, you're not what you used to be and that's, that's a good thing. You're better today than you were last year. You're better today. I hope that each one of us 
can say that. Notice what Paul says in verses 15 and 16 when he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, what he, what he just said. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's saying, if you disagree with me, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to allow God that God will teach you. It's, it's okay. I don't have to argue with you. I don't have to make fun of you. I don't need to call you names because you disagree. I don't need to do any of this nonsense. I just need to say, you know what, God, as God has revealed things to me, so he will to you, and we can be at peace that way. And he says, revealed to you, and then he said, verse, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So guys, in this next year, don't go backwards. So that's just not an option. Reverse doesn't exist. Take the, the R off of the gear shift. We are not going backwards. We are not going to regress. My marriage is not going to go back to the way it was. My parenting is not going to go back. My, my relationships are not going to go back. My knowledge of Jesus and my experience of his word and my obedience to his word, I'm not, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to fall back into old habits. I'm not going to go back into old ways of thinking. I'm, I'm not going to pick up that garbage from my life. I'm, I'm going to move forward. I've made some ground, this is good, and now I'm going to move forward. Move forward. And so he says, let's hear in those who, probably this is very interesting when, when Paul says, let those, those who are mature, we got to, what, what is Christian maturity? What is it? It kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What, what does it mean to be a mature Christian? Does that mean, you know, you, you don't, you know, do some things? Well, maybe part, part of that, part of that I'm sure that, that there is some of that. But it's not only that. It's, Christianity isn't behavioral modification. There is some of that in there, I hope. <laughs> you know, as we grow up, as we mature, we don't do certain things that, that we used to do. Certain things aren't cute anymore, you know. Um, if my grandson, Liam, keeps calling his brother Ezra, Ebba, that's it's not going to be okay. It's okay now. At two, he can look at his brother, Ebba, Okay, that, his name's Ezra, we call him Ebba, it's cute, it's funny, yay. But at 16, if he looks at him and says, Ebba, we, there's been a stunting of development somewhere to that. So it's cute now, it's not cute later. So as, even as a baby Christian, some things are like, all right, they're just getting their traction, they're just getting to know Jesus, that's okay. Don't, don't bug them about that. You've been a Christian 30 years and you're still hung up on some of that. It's like, hmm, perhaps... You've been stunted somewhere. But each one of us, I think, that have attained some things. But when Paul talks about maturity, he uses this word teleos, which is very important. And I want to draw your attention to two other places in Scripture that kind of help us understand what that is. Let's go to the next one in Philippians 3.3. 3, he already said that he says, For we are the circumcision. In other words, we're the mature ones. We're the ones in covenant with God. Who? So he's going to give us the definition of this in-covenant person with God. So one of the first signs of maturity is this, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in our flesh. In other words, when we come to worship him, we're not thinking about all sorts of weird kind of things. We're focusing on just my heart in Jesus. That's why over the last couple weeks I've been telling you that as we gather to worship, we want to pray with the music that's what we're doing is we're singing those so we're praying to the lord we're using the words of people that have written these songs we're we're using Elia as she leads us and we're corporately coming together and we're praying to the lord that's part of what that means okay but then he also says put no confidence in the flesh 
sign of maturity. Number two is you know that left to yourself, you're not going to do very well at this Christian thing. I learned very early on in marriage that it wasn't in me to be a good husband because I was naturally selfish and self-seeking. And I needed outside help. (laughs) I needed the Lord's help to be a giving husband. You learn very early on in pastoral ministry, it's not in me to, to do this. Need outside help. It's not natural to me. When Paul says he puts no confidence in the flesh, he's saying you put no confidence in what initially comes from you naturally all on your own. That's what your flesh is. What your initial thought, I initially want to do this. My initial inclination is this. I'm not going to trust that. I'm not going to trust my first idea. I'm not taking a true or false test where I trust my gut on this one. I'm not doing that. Because what comes naturally to me is probably going to be selfish. It's probably going to be in opposition. It's probably not going to be the most healthy thing to do. So when Paul talks teleos about this maturity, saying we worship in spirit and in truth, we're not caught up in all of the noise of it all, and we've learned that what comes naturally to us is probably counterproductive. My natural inclination tomorrow morning before I go to work is to stay in bed. Counterproductive. Counterproductive. When I see the dessert out on the table, my natural inclination is to eat all of it. Not helpful. Not helpful. So, what else does Paul mean about this maturity, this teleos? Romans chapter 6, verse 19 helps us one more time before we move forward. It says this, Paul, again, speaking to another church, the church in Rome, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, that's your body parts, as the lady on that bone show, remember that dancing phalanges, dancing, anybody? Come on, this was our family show for years. Okay, so our body parts, our dancing phalanges. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to salvation. So see, now I'm no longer saying I'm gonna take my body and present it to its natural inclinations and natural desires and natural tendencies. I'm not not gonna present my body to do that. I am going to say I can't trust those those natural things. It's gonna naturally take me away from God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to present my body my members of my physical being to God, and I'm going to say, Lord, I present these tools for you to go and do some good. I'm tempted to go be selfish. Let me go be selfless. Let me go give something away. I'm I'm tempting to amass everything for me. Help me to go give to somebody that doesn't have what I need. I'm tempted to speak out in anger. Let me, Lord, present my lips to you to speak out in grace. So, that's what Paul's meaning by this maturity. Because I think it's very, very immature of a culture, of a church, to say, Here, God, I want this, so you must. You must say yes to me, and every time I pray or I'm leaving, I'm, I'm abandoning the faith, I'm abandoning church. It doesn't work. So many people are leaving the church because they believe it doesn't work. Well, what do you mean it doesn't work? Well, I didn't get what I wanted. Well, what did you want? Interesting question. 
or people that have given up on God and given up on church. Well, what did you want? And some things, what you wanted, are very right. Thus creates the problem. I think in many of our lives, what you wanted was right. But you needed to hang in with God. You need to battle this out and be patient and don't give up. And then ask yourself a question, did I play a role in not getting what was right? But is God then gonna take what he did give me and make that what I really wanted? It's very hard to figure out, isn't it? It's very difficult. Prayer is a challenge because some of the things that you want and haven't gotten yet from God are things that he does want for you, but you're not ready for them. There are some things that have come into your life and to some into your and into mine that were not God's plan. That someone hurt you, someone betrayed you. It was not part of God's plan. But you have to sit in a place of worship and allow God to redeem that and bring that back and make you whole. And that takes time. And that's hard. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maturity says, excuse my language, but this sucks but I'm gonna sit in it as long as necessary and I'm not gonna present myself to sin and slavery which leads to lawlessness. I'm not gonna give up, I'm not gonna go crazy. I didn't lose the 10 pounds that I thought I was gonna lose so I'm just gonna eat the whole cake. No, stop, 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 stop. Don't destroy your life because something bad has happened to you. See, because Paul says that it just leads to more and more unlawlessness and more and more chaos and more and more pain and anxiety, more. It's not going to take care, take, take care of it. It's not going to get rid of it. You know, I have to let God redeem that. But that too, maybe is a pa- sermon for another day. So we've made some ground. And now, Pastor, we've got to pick up the pace. The third observation from this text is that we have some good and some bad examples. And I'm going to read this to you and not belabor it too much. He says in verse 17, Brothers, join, me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, there's a lot of crazy ideas out there, and Paul says, I'm giving you a good example, and many others too. Verse 18, for many of whom have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I pray that you have a good example. I know. I know as much as that I go, oh, I, don't, I don't know, I'm supposed to be that. I'm the pastor in this, of this community. I'm supposed to be an example to you. So the only way that I really know how to do that in a way that's, that's honest with you is to just tell you when I screw it up. I could be in a good example of you, to you, excuse me, by telling you I was wrong. I can't be a good example of you of someone that's perfect. You can't do that. But I could be an example of you of someone that sits before the scriptures and goes, whoa, I need to change and own my mistakes and own the things that I've done wrong. I can, I can be that. But if you're looking for someone to say, oh, okay, there's someone perfect that I can model my life after, well, that's just Jesus. And if you give up on Jesus because some of his followers have done stupid stuff, I'm sorry, but you're not going to follow Jesus more than about five minutes. Because a lot of his followers, including me, do stupid stuff and have things we're working on and we're all in process. 
And we're all moving towards this goal. So when you see me make a mistake, don't put that mistake on Jesus. Put it on me. So that, that's the pastor's fault. He did that. <laughs> it's not God's fault. And then finally, a final observation in verses 20 through 21 is that we do, though we, we've gained some ground, we're not there yet. We have some good and some bad examples but we have a coming transforming Savior. Look at what Paul says as he closes this portion of his letter. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So here's the motivator. I haven't attained this yet. We're making some progress. This is good. Got some good examples, some bad examples. That's wonderful. But as I'm pressing on to knowing Jesus and allowing that life goal to shape all other goals, I know that there is a transformation that will take place when Jesus returns. I know that there is a transformation that will take place when my body goes into the dirt. I know that I will be raised up like he was raised up and I will be made perfect as he is. But until then, we got to just keep pressing in, don't we? But there's hope and there's motivation and there's encouragement. And what Paul does here with this phrase, but our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven, is he's blowing apart his whole idea that he once thought of our citizenship is right here in Jerusalem and this is the Holy Land and this is the stuff and this is where we've got to be and everybody else has to stay out. No one else can come in. He's saying, wait a minute, let's blow that all apart. Let's blow that all to smithereens. And he says, my citizenship is in heaven, is in this spiritual realm where God lives. It's everywhere. <laughs> this whole place is my home. The whole world is my concern. Not just people in my little circle, in my little place, but the whole world. This is one reason why the Church of the Nazarene has the mission statement, Christ-like disciples of the neighborhood. No? <laughs> Christ-like disciples of the people like me. No. Christ-like disciples of the nations. You see, that's why we give to missions. That's why we do all these things. That's why, in many ways, we're a small part of a big global movement. Because we are concerned about the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as I read the end of the book of Revelation, it says that that heaven will come down and restore all of creation. And that is when you and I will be perfect. But until then, we're not. So I have a question for you as we finish up, as I like to leave things with questions. <laughs> How might knowing Jesus shape the goals you set for your immediate future? As you think about the next few weeks and days and years of your life, how might that be? How might that affect that? As we come to prayer today, as we come and receive these communion elements, identifying ourselves with the broken body and blood of Jesus, I want you to think about that question. I want you to ask God that question. What should be? What could be? What ought to be? 
I just want you to chew on that. And even if you leave here today without any definite answers to that, that's okay. Sermons don't need a neat little bow tied on top and as we send you away, we can leave with some head scratching. That's okay. But let's spend some time with the Lord. Noelia, you want to come back up, dear? And as she does that, you don't need to be a member of our local church to be able to partake in communion. You simply need to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you to make this day the day that you choose to do that. That you would come, as everyone else does, as we all get up out of our seats and as we all come forward to receive these elements, that you would make this your time of coming and receiving Christ. And if you make that choice today, then let someone know. Tell someone that invited you, someone that you came with, let me know, and we'll get you started off on a relationship with Jesus in a way that shapes all other components of your life. Amen.